as I wrote in my notes on the side, this is an admonition to all church leaders, to all those involved in any sort of service, to take heed lest you fall. And he gets to this section in verse 29 through 31. Oh my. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And if among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted or perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. Oh, man. So, turn to page three of your handout. And I have some quotes from some rather famous teachers and writers of modern day and of the past about the danger of false teachers. I'm not going to read them all. But I will read the last one on the list for you. By Paul Washer, he writes, one of the greatest distinguishing marks of false prophet is that he will always tell you what you want to hear. He will never rain on your parade. He will get you clapping. He will get you jumping. He will make you dizzy. He will keep you entertained. And he will present a Christianity to you that will make your ch church look like six flags over Jesus. And if you go up two more paragraphs, you see the first one from Martin Luther, who wrote, people who call out false teachers are not divisive. People who embrace false teachers are divisive and can be deadly. We are in an era, in an age, like no other in the history of the church. Oh, what I just said, it's actually right on your page. If you, if you go, let's see, the very last quote on the, the very bottom, and then go up two more oh, paragraphs. Yeah, see you see it? Yeah, Martin Luther. <coughs> yeah, I can't take credit for it. <laughs> yes, it was very good. But we are in an era that false teachers abound. And it's not that, I mean... I was an editor at Bethany House for two of the revisions of The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. So the cults were considered, you know, but they were so obviously wrong. Now it's coming from within and it's insidious and really frightening. For those of us who are strong in the faith and we're watching our culture devolve around us. And I'm going to just step away and just make some personal comments and observations here. Um, I think they're scripturally based. But oh my goodness, the world is thrusting it in our faces. They're thrusting the sin in our face. And the most vivid picture, and unfortunately it's a little gross, but it's as if they're taking their excrement and pushing it into our face and saying, see how sweet it is? They are. <laughs> and if we disagree, they say, I'm the problem. I'm just not smelling right. <laughs> and I wrote here, I said, I'm old, officially. <laughs> I'm white, I'm male, I'm conservative, and I'm Christian. So that means 
I am racist, misogynist, intolerant, and irrelevant. And I'm still old. <laughs> oh my goodness. How do we speak the truth into a world like this? Now you might say, okay, the contrast between the world and, and Christian faith is very dramatic. The problem is when that is coming into the church. So I have this book here that just came out a week ago. Now I will only hold it up to say, if you buy it and read it, read it with discernment. Because the problem with something that's this, uh, how should I say, um, flagrant, or uh, makes you angry is guilty by association. So you might, he might be talking about a false teacher in the church and then you think everything about that church is wrong. Okay, we have to be careful. But the book is called The Woke Jesus. By a guy named Lucas Miles, the false messiah that is destroying Christianity. In the first hundred pages he goes through the history of the evangelical church, the history of Christianity, and how the various heresies were shut down, and shut down, and shut down. And here we are in an era that has changed the narrative. There is a author by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. that I recommend you read at any opportunity. Uh, let's see if we can get the website address right. Reformation21.org. If you go to reformation21.org and look for Rosaria Butterfield's most recent article. The article, which I have right here, is called Dear False Teacher. And this was published on June 2nd. So this is only two weeks old. And she says, she, the, the title of the article is, Dear False Teacher, the Puritan Thomas Brooks would like a word with you. Now Thomas Brooks wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices and has an entire section in the end of the book about false teachers in written in 1600. And it's still applicable today. Well, she writes something like this. She wrote, the rhetorical strategy, and she's writing to the false teacher, saying your rhetorical strategy was to yield the moral language to left using transgender pronouns, normalizing things like LGBTQ, and asking, did God really say that? Anytime biblical clarity came with a cost. Maybe you tell yourself that you meant well. Maybe you truly believe your innovations are better than God's word because you fancy yourself more merciful than God. You and your friends define the biblical concepts one foundational, once foundational to all Christians, like being born again, forsaking sin and finding liberty in Christ. You've redefined born again, meaning coming to grips with your personal truth. You've redefined forsaking sin to mean not offending anyone. 
And you redefine finding liberty in Christ to mean doing whatever your feelings dictate. And this is her quote. Believe me, I understand your dilemma. Let's not forget that I once promoted garbage ideas like this. She's a former lesbian and was very vocal about her lifestyle. I once promoted garbage ideas such as pronoun hospitality and garbage aphorisms such as homosexuality is a sin, but so too is homophobia. And I repent before God and men. Christians repent of their particular sins, particularly, says the Westminster Confession. And God's word says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And do you think I'm exaggerating the problem? And she goes on. So I come across another story from a famous, um, it's not in this book actually, this is some other thing. Um, Sorry. Yes, she held those views as a Christian. That's how I should should have clarified that. In the church. So I came across another example of a, a famous megachurch pastor in our evangelical community that was doing an entire sermon on the sin of adultery and how they had to remove these two particular people from their congregation leadership not staff, but teaching because of adulterous relationships that they'd had, but did not condemn the fact that the two of them were married to each other and of the same gender. They were in a homosexual relationship in this megachurch teaching Sunday school, but because one of them was unfaithful, and the other one said, well, me too. They had to remove them from their office because of adultery, not because of their lifestyle. You see the problem? This is, this is Paul. He's saying they're going to be fierce. And it's the Greek word, Barus, which means violent, savage, cruel, and vicious, without restraint. After my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will I arise those speaking twisted and perverse things to draw you away. Be alert. And I just, I have to say this to all of you, please be alert. Don't let the subtleties of the world kind of croach in. And here's the point. If you're wondering if someone's a false teacher, the only way you know a counterfeit is to be really, really familiar with the original. Study the original. Study the Word of God. To the point that you see something false, you kind of go, that doesn't square with what I know. That's what they teach the Treasury Department people to count, find counterfeit bills. Yes, sir. I just have a question, and if this is a long time, talk later. You were just saying in preface some of this that we're in a new narrative. Um, 
I have my opinion. I'd like to know when you thought this, quote, new narrative has happened. Was there a time, was there a section of time? Because I think a lot of Christians, because of we're not in those other societies doing all those things, we don't see firsthand how these transitions are. Sure, there's lots of studies. I would just say anecdotally, I think we can all pretty much point that the last 10 to 15 years have been very different in the, the volume of the noise and of the pushback and the lack of an ability to speak the truth without being crushed or pushed away. Sin has always been. It's always been around. I, I jokingly once said I found myself sounding like my dad talking about them hippies, you know, and their problems. And I'm going, yeah, okay, that was a beginning of a decline of society, but you could say, yeah, the decline began before that. The decline has always been around. But the escalation and the the government support of it has made it very different. Yeah. Thank you. That was actually many, you, you are definitely a biblical scholar because many of the biblical scholars pick up on Ezekiel and saying he's referring to the Old Testament passage where Ezekiel is saying much the same thing. Yeah, and I'm wondering if what he's doing right now with them because because like you, you said, we, we warn those people who are obviously sinners right. and hope that they will repent. Right now warning the righteous that you're going to do this. He's kind of doing it ahead of time because he's not going to be there to do right. it. Right. He won't be able to help them see it. Yeah, later and he's on. saying, please be aware. It's going to happen. And what's interesting, I don't have my chronology here, but it's within five years he writes the letter to the Ephesians talking about the sanctity of the church and spiritual warfare you wonder if he's heard reports later. So there's there's that. Yes, thank you. So we move on. That was my kind of my set aside, and I I just had to say it. Uh, <laughs> Verse thirty-two, and it's almost like he's giving them a benediction or a blessing here. He says, "I now commend you to God and to the word of His grace." which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then he's, he has to remind them, I didn't do it for money. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know how these hands ministered to my necessities and those who are with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The problem is, that phrase is not in the Gospels. <laughs> so you kind of go, uh-oh, what did he just do? What did he, where, what did he quote? Are we missing something? Um, just imagine the scholastic, ah, I heard that I had to read my way through it. 
Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Matthew 10.8 says, Freely you received, freely you give. So there are times where Jesus echoes this phrase, but as you see it written here, is not a direct quote from any of the Gospels. However, you can certainly be guaranteed that if Paul is attributing it, that saying has been passed down. Because up to this point, everything is passed down. And remember, at this point, the Gospels haven't been written yet. Okay? Don't forget that. Chronologically, in the composition of the various letters, this section of Acts and this moment in time is before the book of Mark and the book of Matthew that we, as we know them, there may have been verbal, oral traditions, oral things were passed down. There may have been a, a missing document. They call it the, the missing document of Q that the, the Gospels were based on that we don't have. It's possible that that's there. But make sure you don't say, you know, you don't put that in red letter in your Bible. You notice if you have a red letter Bible, that is not in red because we don't know. We don't have it as an actual statement from the Gospels. Right? Not a big deal. It's just one of those, huh, interesting. Then we paint the picture. After he said these things, he knelt and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul and kissed him, sorrowful most because of the word he had spoken that he would not be seen again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Oh, what a poignant scene. Oh my goodness. It's like, wow. You can just feel the well of emotion and the love that these leaders had for him. And the, the love he had in return. And it is very likely that he saw none of them ever again. But they went back to Ephesus and they led that church. And it became a bright beacon in that area for many, many years to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together, for the, the opportunity to look at your word again in a new way, a different way, to explore the messages that you have placed here for our benefit so many years later. Help us to remember the purpose of our service, that it is for your glory, not for our good, and to be on the lookout so that we can counter false teachings when they show up and to speak boldly against them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.